Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. We're going to continue our long-standing series called The Showdown. And today I want to uh, dive in on this concept, this idea, this phrase that I feel God has put on my heart. It's called Stand Back and Watch, this title of our sermon today. We're going to stay here in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 38. We've been uh, at this verse for quite a while and we'll be here until God moves us on. First uh, Kings 18, 38 says this, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. This is taking place in the greater story of Elijah, where Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal. These prophets who were sent to be the mouthpieces to represent the wicked queen Jezebel and her husband Ahab, who was supposed to be the king over Israel but had abdicated his anointing, his position of authority to represent God to the people. Because he abdicated abdicated that, a foreign ideology that was ungodly, Unchristlike had come in and had wooed the people away from what they knew in their heart to be true and the miracles they saw with their own eyes. It wooed away almost the entire nation. And so there was this great showdown where Elijah said to the prophets, you pray to your God and we'll see if he answers and I'll pray to my God. And the God that answers by fire, he who is the one who is God. So the revelation that they were looking for was a revelation by fire. That's what they were seeking was to see who's going to answer with physical, visible power. When Elijah prayed, that's how God answered with fire from heaven. The supernatural invaded the natural. Heaven invaded earth. This is the story that I believe we're in. This is the moment in the story that I believe we're in. You know, uh, I, I've been recently hiking So far, I've gone on a grand total of three hikes. Now, you might say, Jordan, when you talked to us us about hiking last month, you also said you had been on three hikes. That's true. You are correct. I still am stuck at three hikes. At this point, I don't think I can call myself a hiker, but it is a goal. A long-term five-year plan goal is to become a hiker. One One of the things that you find when you go hiking is at the head of the trail, wherever you're entering into the trail complex, there'll be a map that you can take a picture with your phone or grab a brochure to help you navigate the different trails, the lengths, the difficulties. You know what it always says on that map? It always shows you where you're entering into that trail. There's a mark that says you are here. So it can help you figure out, help you orient yourself to what's coming next. You are here. Today, I want to tell you where you are, where we are in this story of Elijah. We are where the fire falls down. Where are you? You are here, where the fire falls. And I feel like I'm not ready to move on until God moves on. You know, in the Old Testament, the Bible uh, led, uh, God led the, the people of Israel with a pillar of fire. And some days the fire didn't move for weeks, months, seasons. And right now, I want you to hear me. I'm going to preach this until God moves us on. But where I feel we are right now is the fire from heaven 
is invading earth. I believe it's going to happen over and continue to happen in the spirit. It's going to touch the physical. It's going to happen in this realm. I believe that in all the chaos that's going on and all that's surrounding us and all that's going down, I want you to know I believe that God's fire's coming down, that God has a say, God has a plan, God's going to continue to work, God is not going to allow us to just slip into the abyss, but I believe that God will answer. Yes, I do know that there are lots of other prophets and crying to lots of other gods. There are lots of other beliefs and systems and ideologies and hopes and lots of people with lots of intentions for our nation. And I don't know who's right or wrong. I don't know who's righteous or not righteous, but God knows and God looks at the heart. And I do know this, God is looking at this land and he loves this land. He loves our people. He loves our children. He loves his church. And I want you to hear me. Where are we? We are at the moment where God God steps up, steps in, where the fire leaves the altar of heaven and comes on the altar of the earth, which I believe is the believers, his church. Now is the moment where God shows up. So we say, stand back and watch. Stand back and watch. And when I say that, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying stand back and do nothing. Watch, I believe, especially in this context, is an active word. That you aren't Watching your watch full. You've got anticipation. I hear God saying to his church, stand back and keep watch. Have discernment. Keep praying. Be a protector. Be a guide. Think of this nation. Wrap your arms around it. Stand back and watch what I'm about to do. Does that make sense? I want to move into this next section of scripture in 1 Corinthians. And this, I think, will make it a bit more practical. The Bible says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If we build on anything else, what we build will falter and fail. The foundation, the altar, our everything is Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the chief cornerstone of all of creation. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. I'm going to say it again, because it will be revealed by fire. What is the work of fire in this context? The work of fire is to bring revelation. It will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Everybody does work. And the reality is you don't quite know what the work of your life, the nature of the work of your life, the nature of the work of the church is until the fire from heaven comes down and comes on it and consumes it and that fire brings revelation. Here's the paradox of God. God's fire consumes but doesn't bring destruction. Think of the burning bush. When Moses saw it, it was consumed, but it was not being burnt up. And then what happened? The voice spoke from the bush, and what did it bring? Revelation. It knew Moses, and it began to tell Moses, this is who I am. And he says, who should I say send me? Tell them, I am that I am. It's revelation. Think of the three Hebrew children. They went into the fire, but what happened? They were not burned. They were consumed, but not destroyed. And in the midst of that fire, there was another man who shone like the Son of God. What did they see? A revelation of who God is. Think of the upper room when the believers were all gathered together and they were praying for God to come down. They were waiting 
and they were praying for the fire to come down. It seems a similar situation for where we are right now. For days upon days, they were gathered praying and watching, watching and praying. And all of a sudden, the fire came down and consumed them, and yet they were not destroyed. But what came out of them? A revelation. What came to them? A revelation of the Holy Spirit. What came out of them? The ability to speak in tongues. And then, boom, it set up the greatest evangelistic event that church, the, maybe the church has ever seen, even since that moment where Peter came out and said, let me tell you about what these people have just experienced. What am I saying? I'm saying when the fire comes, it has a purpose. And its purpose is to bring revelation. So that's one, what I want to speak to you today is what is God doing? What is God revealing? What is God revealing? Come on, let's pray. Holy Spirit, for the next few moments, come and reveal yourself to us. Show yourself strong, true, real to us. God, we want to see you move, and we need to see you move in this nation, in this world. We desperately need you, God. All else has failed. We need you, God. So come, Lord God, and show yourself strong, mighty, active in our lives, in this church. In Jesus' name, come on, amen. Amen. The fire of God consumes, but does not destroy, it reveals. So this is what Paul is talking about to the church in Corinth. When he says, now if anyone builds on the foundation, and now he, he sets up two different types of building materials. He says there's gold, silver, precious stones, but then there's also wood, hay, and straw. There's two different types of building materials. And he's saying, I don't know, I don't know what you're building with, but there will be a day where each one's work will become manifest. The day will disclose it. Light will come and the fire of God will reveal the nature of your work. Your work has a nature. Your words have a nature. Your mind has a nature. When I look at these three different things, the wood, hay, straw, the gold, silver, precious stones, I wonder if, if those could even represent the way that our belief systems work. The work of our hands, the work of our minds, the work of our words, all of these things are going to be put on the altar and tested by God. God. The Bible says that God hears every word that you utter. And make no mistake, he tests those words. He tests your work. He tests your heart because he is interested in the revelation of truth. Which is your work? The, revival, uh, the, the fire comes to bring revelation. Is it worthy? Or unworthy? Worthy or unworthy? Think of it. Gold, silver, precious stones. Those are eternal elements. Heavenly elements. The rest is worth, worthless, worldly elements. The gold represents the eternal essentials. The eternal and the essential. The wood is the worldly and the worthless. What am I saying? I'm saying, look at your life in this moment. As the fire begins to shake your life. The church, as the, as the testing comes to the world in this year, could it also be that God is using the trials and tribulations of the world to reveal the worthy from the worthless in your life, in the church, with our works? I don't know about you, but this past year, I feel like God has made very clear what is gold and what is wood. In my life, in the church, I, I feel like God has made it 
very clear. He's in the process of making our convictions clear. Where we stand, very clear. He's in the process of showing us what is eternal versus what is worthless. And this is what Jesus said. He said, when you listen to prophets, examine what their production is. He says it this way, you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. They might sound good, but look at the production of their lives. You'll know them by what the outflow is of their life. Can I personalize this? You'll know you by the fruits that you produce. It's easy to judge everyone else's fruit, but you'll know you by the fruit of your life because the only constant in your life is you. And if what is constantly being produced from you is poisoned and bitter and, and, and corrupted, you have to look back at your life and say, God, show me what I'm building on, building with. That is not gold. That is not precious. That is not worthy before you. Is it my words? Is it my mindset? Is it the belief systems that I've adopted from the world? Where in my life am I trying to build with things that are unworthy before you? I believe this is the moment and this is the year where God is clarifying people's convictions. And many, many of you I'm talking to, and you're, you're, the phrase I'm hearing from so many people is, I will never go back. I'll never go back to how I used to live. People are making decisions, even with their families, with their children, what kind of home they're going to live in, what kind of school they're going to send their kids to, or if they're going to homeschool. So many different decisions that are radically different. So many people are telling me, uh, I never thought I would live this way. But 2020 has shaken them to the core, and it, it's something has come out of them. They've rev a revelation of this is what matters in life. This is what's eternal in life. My family, my home, my peace of mind. Many people have been realizing that they have been a Christian that serves a lesser God. Christians that have been consumed by career. And it wasn't until this shaking that they have had the revelation that this God is a lesser God, the God of money or the God of, 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 of fame, the God of, um, maybe fame isn't what you, you struggle with, but certainly the God of being in control, manipulation, influence, uh, the, the God Any other God that is, un, un, that is not Jesus, I feel is being exposed in 2020. And it, God's not just exposing it for them. He's exposing it for us. As a pastor, I'm seeing it in the church. I'm seeing a revelation of the wood from the gold. When I look out, I'm seeing organizations that are failing. I'm seeing ministers that are falling. I'm seeing churches that, that, that have little fight in them. But can I tell you what else I'm seeing? I'm seeing people rise up. I'm seeing people begin to pray like they've never prayed. I'm seeing dreams and vision, visions given to people who aren't leaders, but are leaders. Why? Because the fire of God will come on anyone that says, God, I'm willing to be exposed. I'm willing for you to show me. I'm willing to change because I don't want to build with the lesser, with the done, with the worldly possessions. I want to build with what you would have for me to build with, the gold, the precious stones. I see people rising in faith. I see a return to God's spirit. I see holiness coming on people. I, I just see people that are willing to fight the fight, to push through, to have faith, to confront their old nature, to do whatever it takes so that their life is worthy before God. And, and that's, that's the beauty of what God is doing in this difficult 
and trying time. And the, the temptation for us is to, instead of embracing that revelation, even if it's difficult, because sometimes when we see who we really are, it's difficult. But the temptation then is, is to be willfully blind. That's the temptation the church and the saints are fighting right now is willful blindness. The temptation the world is fighting is to overlook instead of confront. To allow the comfortable, see what we can get away with. To try and minimize, say it's no big deal where God's saying, no, when the fire comes, I'm going to show you and I'm going to show the world what is worthy from unworthy. Don't look away in that moment of revelation. Don't close your eyes. Don't bury your head. This is the moment for God to show you exactly what's going on, to use you to speak his words into these situations. You know, one of the, um, one of the, one of the questions many people ask about history when they consider the rise and fall of empires and, and nations is how could the rise of Germany, Nazi Germany, have happened in a civilized society, in a civilized world? And, and the question is a really good question. How could it happen where it gets that far, where it gets that big and gets that strong? I was listening to an incredible uh, historian that addressed this very topic, and, and his answer was surprising. He said, the reason Nazi Germany could become strong was because of the willful blindness of the nations around it that everyone chose to look away because if they looked at the reality of what was happening, they would have had to step in. And it was not politically expedient to step in at that moment. I mean, think about it. France and, and Great Britain had lost millions of people during the Great War. And at that moment, the culture had really shifted away from a love of God and country. In fact, at that time, the young people's mantra and motto was, we will not die for God and country. They were making the decision, saying, we reject what our fathers laid their life down for. And because of that culture that was amongst the young people, the government began to be swayed by it. And they adopted what is known as appeasement. And they tried to appease this growing monstrosity in Nazi Germany as it began to envelop the nations all around it. And they said, if we can just give and give and give, eventually they'll have enough. But the reality is, when a spirit comes on a nation, appeasement will never work. And the spirit that was rising in Nazi Germany and, and on Soviet Russia at the time and Japan was a spirit that would never be satiated. It would never be, it would never be enough. And and one man recognized this. In fact, he recognized it very early as the man Winston Churchill, the incredible leader. He recognized all the way back in the early 1930s what was happening in Nazi Germany. In fact, there's a story that I really love uh, that tells of in 1932, he was researching a book that he was writing. And so he went to Munich, Germany, and his son was friends with the German secretary, a foreign minister, and he set up a dinner date with Adolf Hitler. This was just in the beginning of the rise of his power. Did you know this? This is unbelievable that Churchill was going to go have dinner with Hitler eight years before they became mortal enemies. The reason was Churchill could tell this young um, leader was rising. He had read his book and he wanted to actually warn him against the, um, 
the, the nature of anti-Semitism. This is all true. He wanted to warn him. In fact, he was, he was going to warn him to not walk down that path. And he was trying to figure out a way that Germany and Great Britain could begin to come into peace because eight years before they entered into war, the one who was watching saw what was coming. The temptation we have is to be willfully blind because it is politically or culturally expedient right now. The temptation we have as Christians is to look away from whether the, revi uh, the, the revival fire, the, the revealing fire will show what is worthy from unworthy. The temptation is to not even deal with it, but to live a life that doesn't have to come to grips with the reality of what God is calling us to. But great leaders do not look away in trying times. They don't look away in difficult moments. They will look towards the difficult battle that is to come, that they can begin to bring righteous judgment upon a situation. And it's so interesting to me that for eight years, Churchill decried Hitler. Eight years, he warned about him. And by the way, no one wanted to hear it. For eight years, he warned the people. But the, the day that Hitler invaded France was the day Churchill became the prime minister of, 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 of England. Why? Was because for eight years, he was telling the truth, even when no one wanted to hear it. He examined the works and he could see what was coming. He looked in the eye of this evil and he could tell that this was going to lead to bloodshed. And he was faithful to be honest in the difficult moment. And it's so amazing to me that the man that was willing to look was the man that God was willing to use. So Churchill was a prophet. I mean, he was a, a, a boozed up, cigar smoking prophet that God chose to use, not because of his righteousness, but because of God's purpose. And, and I, I wonder today if Christians understand that we are standing in a historical moment, that to look away is to be foolish. To pretend it's not happening is to move away from the fire that God is bringing revelation on the earth. He's exposing our works. And he's exposing the works of this nation. And to pretend it's not happening or to move away and, and, and cling to comfort is not what God is looking for his prophets and his people and his servants and his church to do right now. This is a critical hour. This is the moment where God is looking for those who will stand and tell the truth. Speak truth despite consequence, despite cost. Will we be the ones that enter into appeasement saying, look, I don't know what's happening. I don't want to know what's happening. I've got no opinion on what's happening. Or will we be the ones that stand and say, we're going to stand for God in this situation. We're going to ask for God. We need his divine intervention. And we're not afraid to look at the reality of what's happening because if we don't, no one else will. This is a historical moment. So I have some questions for you. Questions for a critical mind at this crucial hour. Questions that will help you confront reality instead of being willfully blind. Confront what God is trying to do instead of moving away into a state of apathy. Some questions I have for you is this. Is there a spirit right now that is trying to rise in America? Is there a spirit that's trying to rise within America? And let me ask you this. Is this spirit from God? Or is it not? If it's not from God, what spirit 
is trying to rise in America. Because it does not seem like this year is like any other year that those who are alive have lived in. It seems like something supernatural is trying to rise. Does this feel like the Holy Spirit or some other spirit? I want to ask you to ask yourself, are there watchmen on the wall? And what are they saying? Are there people, whether they're spiritual or secular, that God has placed in a position of authority that are pointing out what is coming towards America? What are they saying? Do you know? Do you have an opinion on it? Let me ask you this question. If there is rampant fraud and corruption in this election process, do we even want to know about it? Or do we just want to move on? Do we not really care? My question is to the church, are we going to be willfully blind in this moment? Are we going to have no opinion? Are we going to have no prayers? Are we just going to try and keep the peace when the day is war? And I don't mean physical, but I do mean spiritual. Now is the time for those that want to pay attention, that want to be used in a critical, crucial hour of history. This is the moment for those that will look into what God is revealing and say, God, use me, use me. I don't know about you, but I feel called to watch and pray right now. I feel called to watch and actively pray for what God is doing. And I want to invite you to be watchmen on the wall, to be people that will pay attention, have our spiritual discernment up, see with spiritual eyes and begin to think, hope, pray, and hear from God in this hour. Amos chapter 3 says this, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. I want in. I want in. If God's going to do something in America, I want to be a part of it. If God's going to show up in a mighty way, I want to see it, I want to hear it, I want to be a part of it. Because it doesn't take a prophetic genius to understand that what's happening right now is America is slipping towards conflict. But I believe that God has put his church here for us to rise up and begin to pray God's divine intervention that there might not have to be bloodshed, that there might not have to be a very difficult, horrific season, but that God can intervene, God can reveal, God can bring the truth. And whatever the truth is, whatever the truth is, if there was no fraud, let it come out. If there was fraud, let it come out. Despite the consequences, we want truth. We desire freedom. We desire liberty. We desire for God's way to be had in this nation. Because I can tell you what, the spirit that's trying to come on this nation right now, I feel, I can sense, does not feel like the spirit of God. The constant shutdowns, the, the, the spirit of fear, where we see people beginning to turn on their neighbors, it does not feel like the spirit of God. What spirit is it and who can pray against it? My prayer is God bless America. I'm praying for God to bless this nation. I'm praying for God to show his power and strength in this nation. And I love this nation. I love God and I love country. And I'm not going to be ashamed of my country. You say, well, this country's not perfect. Got it. I got it. Nothing is. America's not Jesus. 
but I do believe God has his hand on us. I'm going to pray for this nation. And for the next few weeks, I'm asking you, Awakening, pray for this nation. Now is not the time for us to sit down with our new Xbox and disconnect from the world. It is not the time for us to be willfully blind. Listen, when the fire of God begins to fall, he begins to show everything for what it is. Don't look away. Look at what God is doing and pray God's power into the atmosphere. This is something very practically that you can do. In the morning and in the evening, this is your country. God put you here. Don't let anyone make you feel weird about your love for your country. That spirit is not the Holy Spirit. God loves Israel in all its imperfection. God loves America in all its imperfection. He loves the Americans. And I really believe that God is looking for the Abrahams that will stand in the gap and will begin to intercede for the nation. You remember when God said to Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to annihilate Sodom and Gomorrah. Is America worse than Sodom and Gomorrah? I'm going to annihilate it. And Abraham said, but God, if there are just 10 righteous, just a few righteous, will you stay your hand? And God says, for your sake, at your request, I will stay my hand if there are just 10 righteous. And Abraham stopped there. But if he went down to one, I believe God would have even stayed his hand against those cities if he just kept praying. We're Abraham's. And this is our city. This is our nation. And we are going to stand and pray. And pray God's hand of blessing, his hand of intervention over this nation. Hey, he who has ears, let him hear what I'm saying. Let him hear what I'm saying. Some of you may say, I don't get what he's preaching about. But you need to begin to ask God, what's going on in this nation? And where can I be used to help? The next temptation that you're going to have to fight against when God begins to move and the fire begins to fall is the temptation of distraction. It's a temptation of distraction. You know, I don't know how long I've been preaching, so I'm going to kind of begin to wrap it up here. I feel like I said what I, f I feel on my heart to say. And so uh, <laughs> I guess my sermon is secondary to the message I feel God wants me to deliver to us uh, in, that, um, in that God has put you in this hour, in this time. I want you to know it is not Let me, let me say it in the positive. It is a blessing to live in 2020. It is not a curse. It's a blessing to live in 2020. It would be a blessing to live in the moment where God parted the Red Sea. It would feel like a curse right up until the moment where the Red Sea got parted. But the moment where it got parted, that was a blessing. I feel like God is not done. I know God is not done with our nation. I know he's not done with our businesses. You know, you look online, you can see that there's a plan that's coming in from other nations called the Great Reset, where they're just going to assimilate this nation into ab abject socialism. The enemy always comes with the counterfeit, but God brings the real thing. I do believe there needs to be a reset, but it's not going to be the kind that people want to use to subjugate humanity. There's going to be a great reset from God, that the people are going to begin to repent, that we're going to see a mighty revival that we're going to see God's hand move in this nation. That's where you'll see unity. That's where you'll see forgiveness. That's where you'll see reform from the local 
to the national. That's where you'll see reform is when God's hand begins to move. And may it begin with the church. Look, in, in Peter it says this. It says judgment begins in the house of the Lord. I don't know if we have that verse, if we can go back and put it up. But judgment begins in the house of the Lord. May it start with us. May it start in our churches. May it start with our people. God, show us first. But hear me, when God aligns us, he aligns us so now he can go work through us for the nation. I, I, I just want you to hear me. This is not the time for the church to slink back. Say, Jordan, you're preaching about politics. I'm not preaching about politics. I'm preaching about the world. When the politics has invaded so much that we are literally being masked, this isn't about politics anymore. You're wearing politics on your face. This isn't, this isn't like, oh, look, let's keep these worlds separate. This thing is being combined. And I'm saying if the church does not rise and pray right now, we will abdicate our authority to pray forever. We will not be Ahab's in this moment. We will be Elijah's in this moment. And if we stand alone, we stand nonetheless. If no one joins us, we pray nonetheless. If it's not expedient, if it's not culturally cool, if it's not relevant, if it has a cost, we stand nonetheless. We stand for truth. And if the whole world applauds us, then certainly we are not doing what Christ would do. For Jesus said, be prepared when people of uh, say all manner of evil against against you. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you also. In the next coming months, the church must stand for truth and righteousness. It must stand for the word of God. It must stand for people that have no voice on their own to speak and to stand. We cannot be people that lie down and have no opinion as a demon will begin to rise from another nation. That's what was happening with Hitler. Thank God there were Churchills that could look at this thing and could speak the truth even when no one wanted to hear it. Remember in Sodom and Gomorrah, they covered their ears and gnashed their teeth because they hated God so much. Whatever their reaction is, we can't control that, but we can stand for truth despite the cultural consequences. And we will not give in to the temptation of being willfully blind or the temptation of distraction. Do you remember when Elijah was at the end of his life? God brought a disciple to him named Elisha, similar names. Elijah was going to be taken and Elisha knew this was the final day with the one that I'm following. And, and Elijah kept telling Elisha, I'm going to be taken. You stay here. You stay here. But Elisha says, I'm sticking with you to the end. And and right when Elijah was about to be taken into heaven, he asked Elisha, what is it that you want from me? If I could grant you anything, what is it that you want? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your anointing. And Elijah said, well, you've asked for a difficult thing. Everyone wants a calling, but they won't count the cost. I want a double portion of your anointing. Well, you've asked for a difficult thing because you've asked for a great burden. What did Elijah say? But if you watch me when I'm taken into heaven, if you see me when I'm taken into heaven, if you watch, if you look, if you, if you stay focused on me when I'm taken into heaven, you will get what you are asking for. All of a sudden there was a whirlwind. There was chariots of fire. Elijah was taken up into heaven and amidst all the noise, 
Elisha stayed focused on the thing that he desired to have. He stayed focused on Elijah. That's no small feat when fire from heaven appears and whirlwinds and spiritual chariots. There's so much distraction. He could have looked anywhere. He could have looked at anything, but he stayed focused on what he wanted. He stayed focused on the calling he wanted to receive. He stayed focused on the anointing that he wanted to receive. There is so much going on right now. But hear me, if you want to be used by God, Now is the moment to fix your eyes on Jesus. Now is the moment, church, to stay focused. Now is the moment to not be distracted by all the noise that's going on, but quiet your soul and say, God, where do you want me to pray? How do you want me to talk? How do you want me to walk? How do you want me to live? What will be worthy before you, God? Think about when Peter stepped out on the boat. He was looking at Jesus. But the moment that he got distracted by the surroundings, the moment that he got, he drew his gaze away from what he was walking towards was the moment that his faith began to falter because what you watch is what you walk towards. The writer of Hebrews says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Goes on, says, so consider him. When you go through various trials, you go through difficulties, remember what he endured. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The goal of the enemy is to spiritually blind you. Look in 2 Corinthians, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. You're not going to think how they think. Because you don't serve the God that they serve. You're not going to live how they live because you don't believe how they believe. You're not under the curse that they're under. For the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Listen, if your life aligns with secular culture right now, you are you've become blinded and you're being led by the blind. But if your life and your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you're gonna look different, you're gonna talk different, you're gonna believe different. You're gonna have the paradox of spirituality. The paradox of spirituality that even in difficulty, you know that God is good. Even when the fire comes, it serves only to reveal God's nature to you. If you're following God, you get to encounter that paradox that he brings sight to the blind. He brings healing to the broken. He brings joy to the depressed. When you follow Jesus, you begin to enter into a different world. You walk a different path. You live a different life. Now, everyone around you might look different, act different, believe different, speak different than you, but you're not following the God that they're following. And your eyes are not blinded like their eyes are blinded. You're watching, you're watching, following a different God. I want to read you this, this prayer that was written by a Puritan minister hundreds of years ago. It's called The Valley of Vision. And it goes like this. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. 
Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. When the fire comes, it does not come to destroy you. It consumes you, but it does not come to destroy you. It becomes to reveal the real within you. It becomes to reveal God to you. And so I pray that now is the hour where you're going to be able to see God for yourself. You know, and through all the difficulty that this year has brought, I'm seeing so many people seeing God for all that he is for the very first time. Seeing people find who they were really made to be. And they're beginning to grow in their gifts. They're learning to trust God, have faith. You know, when the pandemic began, a lot of the, uh, the experts were saying that, you know, this is going to lead to many, many divorces. But for many people in our church, hearing that God is bringing their marriage together, even through difficulty, but God's bringing their marriage together. Why? Because God can do the supernatural. His fire comes to bring revelation, not destruction. In Hebrews 12, verse 26, it says, at that, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So stand back and watch. Watch. Be active. Right now, I'm deputizing you. Now is the moment to stand back and begin to watch prayerfully. Watch with discernment. Begin to watch for an opportunity that you can intervene, that you can help people in these next few moments. When, when so many people are crushed by depression, your joy can begin to shine. When so many people are searching for what's real, your faith can be elevated. Let me tell you, if you are a Christian in this season, you are so necessary. Because as the shaking is happening, you have stability. Because your foundation is completely different. It's not in government. It's in God. It's not even in health. It's in eternal life. You're different. You believe different. God's got his hand on you for this moment. I believe he's going to use you in this moment. So that when the fire comes, I pray that the works of your life are revealed to be gold, silver, and precious stones. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.